0: You have this belief that you are better than us. You have this belief that this country is so very good and we are so very bad. You have this belief that you are so fair and we are so very cruel. all lies and false propaganda to support this antagonistic and violent government. Oh, violent? Hey, we don't keep our people behind a wall with machine guns. Who are you? Who am I? I'm the unsolent majority, big mouth.
1: That's right, it's underway, and welcome to the main event. I am Scott McAfee, I'm the owner of Don's Bicycle Store in Rialto and Redlands, and I'm filling in Fred Hoffman this week. Ed is on vacation, he'll be back next week. I do, of course, need to make my normal disclaimer, and that is I am not a professional radio talk show host. I'm actually just an incredible simulation. The fact of the matter is I'm just a regular person, just like you, but I'm very politically incorrect, and I have a big fat mouth, and I'm not afraid to use it which, of course, makes me the perfect fill-in host for Ed. But before we get down to business, or as we say in Rialto, bitness, I do need to point out the main founder of The Feast, the sponsor, of course, of today's program, and that is Wholesale Capital Corporation, your direct mortgage lender. WCC is based in Southern California with offices all over the area. So if you're interested in getting involved with any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate and you need financing Call Ed at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. Day or night, 855-640-2020. If you want to get in touch with Ed and you don't want to talk on the phone, find him at WCCLoans.com, where he has all kinds of mortgage information for you. If you want to apply for a loan right away, go to the Loan Center tab and click on the Apply Now button. Or if you'd like to email him first, Click on the contact page and fill out the form. It goes directly to Ed and his team. As well, if there's any part of the show, any part of the main event that you want repeated, go to edhoffman.net, click on the podcast page, and listen to it on demand anytime. You can also get the main event podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes. And be sure to connect with the show on social media. You can follow Ed on Twitter at Ed Hoffman, where he tweets about current events all week long. And you can also like the show on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash the main event Ed Hoffman. Alright, so as many of you know, um, basically what we do on this show is we take kind of events throughout the week and we summarize them and put them into a format where hopefully it makes sense to you. And I actually have a really big show for you planned today, so I need you to stick around with me for the entire hour because the second half of the show, I'm going to highlight the top 10 biggest morons of the year. So I'm going to take 2017, and I know there's a lot of shows that... You know, we'll kind of highlight all the news and events. And of course, it's been an incredibly eventful 2017. But quite frankly, I only have an hour. And I don't have time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. Exactly. Ain't nobody got time for that. But what I do have time to do is to, again, highlight what I think are the biggest idiots throughout the year. And I will say it was a tough challenge. There are so many knuckleheads that have shown themselves throughout the year. It was difficult for me to kind of narrow it down to 10. But I've done the best job I possibly could. So I need you to stick with me for that, that part of the show. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. Before we begin, I do want to talk about an event that I had the opportunity to go to, and it was it was actually a conference in West Palm Beach, Florida. And this conference was sponsored by a group called Turning Point. And for those of you who don't know what Turning Point is, Turning Point is really the, it's like the largest millennial conservative organization in the country. So they've got chapters, and I believe it's like 1,500 high schools and college campuses throughout the country. And basically, it's to promote conservative ideals, uh, to promote conservative speakers, to kind of get the the message out to the millennials. It's kind of like a message from millennials to other millennials. So it was actually a great conference. I had a really good time. And as a matter of fact, the first day's speaker lineup was Trump Jr., uh, Dennis Prager, Dinesh D'Souza and Ben Shapiro. So that was their opening lineup. It was a really, really cool lineup. And and I got to tell you, I think one of the most impressive speakers that I heard while I was back there was Trump Jr. Um, I really hadn't heard him speak a lot other than at the convention. And the guy was funny. He was witty. His kids kept running up on stage and he made that kind of part of his his act. It, it was really, really cool. And one of the things that Trump Jr. talked about was that he had just got done testifying for like 20 hours regarding this FBI probe. So 20 hours of testimony Trump Jr. had to go through uh, to try and, I don't know, they're, they're they're fishing, obviously. They're looking for some kind of connection uh, with Russia and this whole collusion thing that's been going on for, what, over a year now, And and they still have nothing to show for it. There's no proof of any kind of Russian collusion. But the thing that sort of struck me was that when Trump made the sacrifice to become our president, and it is a sacrifice, and I think it's a sacrifice for anybody, I don't think I could do it, quite frankly. I don't think I could handle the kind of pressure that Trump is is under on a, on a daily basis. But for whatever reason, he just it doesn't seem to bother. You know, he just doesn't seem to care. But when I think about the sacrifice that Trump made, it also means a tremendous sacrifice for his family. His family's being drugged into this thing as well. So they're now having to testify in front of FBI, FBI inquiries. Uh, they're being dragged through the mud. They have to travel, I'm sure, with a ton of security. So it just underscores the fact that, when Trump made the sacrifice to become our country, and thank God he did, because I think Trump, whether you like his style or not, I think he's really what we needed at the right time. We needed something and someone very unconventional. Uh, but but it is a huge sacrifice. I mean, Trump didn't need the money, didn't need the power. Um, this definitely has not made his life any easier at all. The other thing I wanted to talk about, though, was that at the Turning Point event, there were some protesters. I think like a day or two into this thing, we were, oh, there's a bunch of protesters down. and It was at the West Palm Beach Convention Center. So a guy was with tells me, Hey, there's a bunch of protesters down. Let's go down and engage them. And I'm like, let's not, let's just like ignore them and they'll just go away. And he's like, no, no. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't take no for an answer. I'm like, all right. So we went down there and there's like this wall of cops, right? And then there's the protesters on the other side of the cops and they had signs. And one of the signs says something effective, go home, Nazi F's. And it was, it was kind of ironic because during the protest, a group of Orthodox Jewish students who had come for, for the conference show up, and they, they go up to the protesters and they said, "Hey, do we do we look like Nazis, right?" So it was kind of hilarious to see Jewish students with their yarmulkes engaging these protesters who are ha- who are holding these signs that say "Go home, Nazis," and and the funny thing was that after the event was over. Uh, we left and a group of these students, they actually at one point or they either grabbed the sign or they found the sign or they yanked the sign, the Nazi sign. So these Jewish kids, they, they saw me. They knew who I was and like, hey, look, look what we got for a souvenir. And they're holding up the go home Nazi F's sign as a souvenir. And they and they they tell me, they say, hey, good, good night, you're racist. And I said, oh, good night, you Nazis. And they actually gave me the Zieg Heil salute as they walked off, which I thought was kind of funny. Hope you find that funny. Hopefully the country has a sense of humor. I thought it was really funny. At another point, though, during these protests, there was a guy who was, you know, kind of, kind of on the other side of the cops. And he's he's yelling at me he's saying, oh, you're a racist. You're a racist. And I'm like, come on, man, that's just that's like ridiculous. You don't even know me. I'm not a racist. My wife is Mexican. Give me a break. And he's telling me, he goes, yeah, well, maybe you're not, but everybody behind you is. And I'm like, dude, you don't even know who's behind me. There's like kids of all races here and there's people from all over the country And it's not about racism. It's about smaller government. It's about capitalistic ideals. It's about conserving the country and our values. And I think that if I had to do this event over again, one of the things I would have liked to have done would just be to take that guy into our conference and introduce him to those people. Because, you know, he's talking to me. We're actually having a civil conversation at one point. I realize you cannot you can't like talk to a mob and you can't rationalize with a mob, but you can you can reason with people one-on-one. So I'm talking to this guy and he says, well, yeah, maybe you're not a racist, this, that, and the other. And he's like, yeah, I rode my motorcycle in. I'm like, Oh, what kind of motorcycle you guys? We're talking about his motorcycles. And, and it just, it, 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 it it was an example of, you know, the fact that when you can deal with somebody on a one-on-one basis, they realize, you know what, maybe you're not as bad as, as, as we think you are. Maybe you're not. And maybe he might disagree with us on policies. But if I could take him inside, have him inter- introduce him to those students and the people that participated in that convention, at least he would know they're not just a bunch of racist Nazis. They're just regular human beings just like him. Uh, and maybe they don't see the world the way he does, but but that's OK. That's OK. Anyways, coming to some of the top stories. Obviously, I know Ed covered the tax plan in detail when he was on, and I will say one thing about the tax plan. A couple of quick points: the tax plan that passed, it's not necessarily everything I wanted it to be. Uh, for example, they still left the death tax in there, the estate tax, which to me was was a disaster. That was supposed to have been removed, and all of a sudden, for some reason, it got it got passed. The problem with the death tax is that. To me, it's like double taxation. And where this, where this is really illustrated to be bad policy are examples where you have people who, let's say, inherit a farm. Let's say they inherit a family farm. And let's say the farm's worth like $10 million. So the government can say, okay, well, we're going to tax you on that $10 million. Now, these people may not have the $10 million in the bank, of course. However, they're liable from a tax standpoint due to the estate tax, death tax, whatever you want to call it. They're liable to pay that amount. So the fact of the matter is you have many, many examples of people who have these farms. And yet they have to actually sell the farms to cover the taxes. Uh this is something that maybe they'll get rid of it at a point down the road, I hope. But in general, it was a net positive for the Republicans. And I think for me, at least it showed that they can get some things done. Because I know after the Obamacare thing, you know, flopped, I'm thinking, okay, the Obamacare repeal. I'm thinking, are these guys ever going to get anything done? And, and I will say also that not only can the Republicans now say we got something done in 2017, and I do think it will help them in 2018 in the midterm elections. And I also think that if this tax plan has any kind of major impact on the economy, the election of 2020 is over because whether you're a Democrat or Republican, the majority of people in this country do vote with their pocketbooks and if they are seeing economic benefits and gains whether it's in their retirements as we've seen, you know, 1.9 million new jobs. Uh, we've had this huge uptick in the stock market and the S&P 500. Uh, unemployment is a, is a very, very much low the lowest it's been in decades. That alone will assure Trump a victory, I think, in 2020. So that's pretty exciting. So overall, it was a big deal for the Republicans. Props to them for actually getting it done. I think the only dissenting vote was from Lisa Murkowski, who's an absolute moron. So... Uh, moving on to the next topic. Um, this was the U.N. Uh, obviously, I know I had touched about this last week, but the U.N. voted to condemn the United States for moving our embassy uh, into Jerusalem. And uh, it's kind of interesting because what happened in this past week is that Nikki Haley, um, has actually said that she is going to – I'll just announce it here. She announced that the United States negotiated a historic reduction in the U.N. operating budget. Nikki Haley said that plans call for a $285 million cut from the U.N.'s budget for the 2018-19 to 19 fiscal year. The 17-18 budget was set at $5.4 billion. So this is coming from Nikki Haley. Uh, the inefficiency and overspending of the United Nations are well known – We will no longer let the generosity of the American people be taken advantage of or remain unchecked. This historic reduction in spending, in addition to many other moves towards a more efficient and accountable UN, is a big step in the right direction. While we are pleased with the results of this year's budget negotiations, you can be sure we'll continue to look at ways to increase the UN's efficiency while protecting our interests. So a couple quick footnotes regarding the UN. Um, The UN operates on an annual budget budget, of apparently about $8 dollars. Billion, $8 billion. Of that eight billion, the US contributes three point three billion dollars to the UN and its affiliated organizations. So three point three freaking billion dollars we're giving to the UN. And trust me, I am excited about the fact that we're gonna take away like 180 billion from what we've been wasting with them. But three stinking billion dollars we pay to the UN. And I guess the question is, what what do we get out of this? I mean what, what do we get out of funding the u n uh, and what has the u n actually really accomplished that's that's of value um one thing that 's kind of um worthy to note is that one hundred and twenty eight countries voted against the u s they voted in other words to condemn the u s for moving our embassy into Jerusalem but I did think it was interesting cool like, well, like who voted with us and apparently it was like like and by the way, all of Europe voted against us by the way, so so much for our European allies. But the countries that voted with the U.S. I think I think are worth noting. And by the way, Guatemala and Honduras has agreed to move their embassies into Jerusalem as well, which I find fascinating. I mean, who, who who would have thought that one of the best allies we have in the world is Guatemala? I mean, they're just not one that would like come to the top 10 list in my head. Right. But Guatemala is standing with us. They're moving their embassy as is Honduras. But when you look at the countries that voted with us, there was like eight of them. So there was a country called Nauru, N-A-U-R-U. I've never even heard of it. A country called Palau, which is P-A-L-A-U. A A country called Togo, which actually I thought that was a sandwich chain, a sandwich shop chain. Uh, Israel, of course, voted with us. The Marshall Islands and a country called Micronesia, which I've also never heard of. My guess is it's probably a small country because that's why it's called Micronesia. Anyways, but it's kind of interesting to note, like, who are the actual real, real allies that the United States has? So it's apparently a lot of these countries we've never heard of, but we love you. The other interesting thing was that Trump had actually threatened to, as some of you may recall, threatened to withdraw funding from some of these countries that have voted against us. And when you're talking about how much money we we put out in foreign aid, I mean, it's it's a staggering, staggering amount. It's like $35 billion is what the United States puts out to foreign aid to countries, many of which don't even like us, by the way. So there's one thing that I can kind of agree with my libertarian brothers and sisters on is there's no reason for us to be pumping money into all these countries that – not only, not only don't like us, but they're not supporting us in the UN. So what we're going to see, it's going to be very interesting to see if Trump actually follows good on his promise to defund and take away aid money from all of these countries. I mean, we're looking at saving lots and lots of money, folks. uh, And I'm all for that. I think that's fantastic. So uh, next up on my list of things I want to talk about. Uh, Prince Harry. Uh, So Prince Harry, and by the way, my mom is from England. She is a war bride. She met my dad over in England when he was stationed in Europe and uh, they came back over here. So my mom's, of course, a big fan of the royal family. I've always thought it was kind of a bunch of nonsense, but apparently Prince Harry's getting married. Who cares? I really don't. But Prince Harry's upcoming wedding has people talking about who the guest list will be, specifically whether Barack Obama will make the cut. He was asked about it on a BBC radio this week.
0: We share the same kind of mindset and the outlook on on, on, on the charitable sector, uh, on on foundations, and mainly on, on the youth of the youth of today. The the young and people of this world are incredibly inspirational.
1: Well enough to invite him to your wedding.
0: Well, I don't I don't know about that. That's um the, the we haven't put the uh, the invite uh, or the guest list together yet. So who knows who knows whether he's going to be invited or not. I wouldn't want to ruin that surprise.
1: I wonder if Ed and I will be invited. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Uh, The Prince was a guest editor at the BBC all week, and one of his assignments was to interview Obama, so let's hear a bit of that.
0: For eight years, your alarm went off. You you woke up to the realization that you were President of the United States and faced immediately with a million challenges. Um, When you wake up now as Barack Obama, former President of the United States, what's different about your mornings? Uh, I wake up later. (laughs) And... and You know, it's wonderful to be able to control your day in a way that you just can't as as president.
1: Well, that's great. Uh, We're glad you can control your day and not control us, I think would be would be my comment on that. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's wedding may see a joining of Brit and an end in America, in American, in matrimony. But in news reports, the British government worries that the guest list may cause tension. The British government is reportedly concerned that President Donald Trump will be offended. If he's not invited to Harry and Meghan's wedding and former President Barack Obama and First Lady Michelle Obama are. So according to The Sun, Harry and Meghan have told government aides they'd like to invite the former first couple to their May 19th nuptials. But this desire reportedly has the UK government nervous that Trump will be displeased if his predecessor snags an invite. And he does not, especially before he's even had a chance to meet Queen Elizabeth herself. So Harry's made it clear that he wants the Obamas at the wedding. So it's causing a lot of nervousness, a source told The Sun. Trump could react very badly if the Obamas get to a royal wedding before he's had a chance to meet the queen. Uh, So my take on this is, who cares? Like, who cares if they invite President Trump to the wedding or not? I mean, to me, the royal family are a bunch of freeloaders who basically sit in there and don't do anything. And and for, they're more concerned about the royal wedding when they should be concerned about their freaking country, which is like going to be falling apart here in the next decade. The UK is crumbling. And, and with dozens of these no-go zones filled with Muslims practicing Sharia law, in like a dozen years... Harry, Charles and company will be back in their bags while they turn Buckingham Palace into a mosque. That's what Prince Harry should be concerned about. The problem for us, of course, is going to be all those British refugees pouring into the United States, you know, with all their bad teeth. I mean, the dental bills alone could bankrupt this country. So, you know, the point is that, look, uh, does this matter? No. Is this relevant? No. Go get married. Who cares? Uh, It's all a big facade. And that's all I have to say about that. On another note, this is something that just came to my attention this morning. uh, Apparently, the Oregon Court of Appeals on Thursday has upheld a $135,000 fine against two Christian bakers who refused to make a wedding cake for a same-sex couple. The case began back in January 2013 when Aaron and Melissa Klein Owners of, Since, of the since-closed Sweet Cakes by Melissa Bakery just outside of Portland, Oregon, cited their religious beliefs when declining to make a wedding cake for Rachel and Lauren Bowman-Cryer. Following the incident, the Oregon Bureau of Labor and Industries found the clients in violation of a 2007 state law that protects the rights of lgbt 2 key LMNOP people in employment housing and public accommodations in 2015 the couple was ordered to pay the bowman criers emotional distress damages the clients appealed the decision in march of 2017 arguing the state's bureau of labor and industries violated their rights as artists to free speech their rights to religious freedom and their rights as defendants to due process On Thursday, nearly five years after the incident that ignited the case, the Oregon Court of Appeals sided with the state and upheld the penalty against the Kleins. Rachel and Laurel Brown Crier applauded the ruling through a statement released by their attorney. So a couple comments from me on this. Um, This comes back to the gay marriage issue. And, you know, I was against gay marriage. I was one of the people who voted against it in the state of California, which, by the way, overwhelmingly voted against it. And one of the reasons for me, it wasn't that it wasn't that I necessarily care whether a guy marries a guy, a woman marries a woman. It's, it's not so much that it's for me, it's the long term implications and ramifications of this. And and the issue is when you have I'm going to call them militant gays who will use this marriage status as a weapon to crush businesses And voices and people on the political right. So basically what you had here was, you know, does the court side with with the gays who rather rather than them just going somewhere else and having a cake made somewhere else? Couldn't they have just done that? Couldn't they have just said, okay, fine, no problem. We'll go somewhere else. We'll get our cake baked somewhere else. But no, they had to take it to court and 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 take basically ruin these these people's businesses that's exactly what they did so my issue with the whole gay marriage thing was that it, they could weaponize the gay marriage issue turn it against people on the right and in this case they've apparently put this business out they've actually sued them out of business so it's like we're going to continue to see more of this uh as a result and and it's really a shame and and here's the question that i would pose to all you listening what if what if this bakery had been muslim owned what do you think would have happened then do you think do you think this case would have gone anywhere would they' have even would they 've even challenged a muslim owned bakery in court and forced a muslim owned bakery to bake a wedding cake because not only by the way are muslims anti gay marriage they in many countries throw them off rooftops uh we 've seen video footage of that uh gays don 't do very well in Muslim countries uh, and yet it 's the people on the right uh, who are the ones that are uh, that, that the Christians on the right uh, who really are, are some of the best friends that the gays have and yet they don't even realize it they're the ones that are going to be standing with them um, uh, when issues like this you know issues of, of Islamization and Sharia law and all that kind of stuff come to a head in different parts of the world so um, wrapping up this hour just about out of time I do want you to stay with me because coming up in the second half of the hour I'm going to break down for you the top 10 biggest morons of 2017. We've got a full list of people. I'll pick them apart one by one. And if you have a comment regarding the show, if you love the show, if you hate the show, if you think we're fantastic, if you think we're awful feel free to call the listener hotline, and that number is 855-640-2092. That's 855-640-2092. One more time, 855-640-2092. Thanks. I'll be right back after news, traffic, and weather. And welcome back to the main event and a happy new year to all of you. I am Scott McAfee. I'm the owner of Don's Bicycle Store in Rialto and Redlands, and I'm filling in Fred Ed Hoffman this week. Ed is on vacation. He'll be back next week. I do need to make my normal disclaimer, and that is I am not a professional radio talk show host, just an incredible simulation. Actually, the fact of the matter is I am just a regular person just like you, but very politically incorrect and I have a big fat mouth, and I'm not afraid to use it. Which makes me, of course, the perfect fill-in host for Ed. So, where we left off the last part of the show, I promised you that, and this, by the way, this is my favorite show to fill in for Ed, because he turns me loose on the mic, and this is my opportunity to kind of summarize the top 10 biggest morons of the year for 2017. And as I I said earlier, it's not an easy choice, because there's so many knuckleheads to choose from, but... Obviously, I had to make a decision, and I hope you will agree that these are definitely the top 10 biggest morons. Don't forget, if you want to speak with Ed about your mortgage options or buy a house for yourself, buy a house for your kids or to get them out of your basement, or refinance your home to live in, or see what that thing called to reverse mortgage is all about, call Ed at 855-640-2020 or or visit www.wccloans.com and fill out the contract form. That message will go straight to Ed and his team, and one of them will get in touch with you. And again, if that's if you're interested in a home loan, now if you want to leave Ed your comments on a show, the comment number is 855-640-2092. That is the main event listener hotline where you can leave a voicemail that Ed might play on the show. One more time, 855-640-2092. All right. So, let's get down to business and once again we will discuss the top 10 biggest morons of the year. We're going to start with moron number 10. I Uh, This for me, this guy is a kind of a number of unfunny comedians who still manages to have a job. This is Stephen Colbert is more on number 10. Back on May the 3rd, Colbert opened his show with a monologue that addressed Trump's Face the Nation interview and the way the president responded to questions asked by CBS's John Dickerson. Responding to Trump's remark that he calls the show Deface the Nation, Colbert said this.
0: Mr. Trump, your presidency, I love your presidency. I call it disgrace the nation. You're not the POTUS, you're the BLOTUS. You're the glutton with the button. You're a regular gorge Washington. You're the presidents, but you're turning into a real potato. Sir,
1: you attract more skinheads than free Rogaine. You have more people marching against you than cancer. You talk
0: like a sign language gorilla who got hit in the head. In fact, the only thing your mouth is good for is being Vladimir Putin's holster.
1: Wow. You know, it's amazing that he could even get away with saying this. I mean, for one thing, Stephen Colbert is just not funny. And I'll I'll give him props. I mean, I guess he has a certain style about him. But the material's weak. It's lame. He's not funny. And could you imagine, and I don't know if you could really understand what he said, but... The word he used, I can't say on the air, but it basically implicates that Trump's mouth would be a private parts holster for Vladimir Putin. That's kind of what what he was basically alluding to. Can you imagine if he would have said something like this about President Obama? How much backlash would there be? Would this guy even have a job the next day if he said something like that? So it it definitely illustrates to me that there doesn't seem to be any line that the left has a hard time crossing. Moron number nine. Uh, That would be the Academy Awards. Uh, This year's Oscar ceremony was even more embarrassing than usual when Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway announced that the winner of the best picture was La La Land when it was actually Moonlight. Thank you all. Uh, Thank you to the Academy. Thank you to (laughs) Lionsgate. Thank you to our incredible cast and crew. We're all up here right now. Matt Pluff, you kicked this off, and Damien Chazelle, we're standing on your shoulders. We lost, by the way, but you know. What? You know. Guys, guys <laughs> I'm sorry. No, there's a, mistake. This, there's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture.
0: <laughs> Moonlight won. This is not a joke.
1: Come this up. is not a joke. I'm afraid they read the wrong thing.
0: This is.
1: This is not a joke. Moonlight has won Best Picture. Moonlight, Best Picture. This was an absolute, complete train wreck, and it kind of serves him right. I think that I think Trump's comment, and I'm paraphrasing, was some of the effect, if they'd have spent less time bashing me and more time on figuring out the envelopes, maybe these kind of disasters wouldn't happen. I thought it was hilarious. The look on Jimmy Kimmel's face, for anybody that watched this thing, was priceless. Jimmy Kimmel is a big fat dope, in my opinion, and he was actually the host of the awards show. This thing was just, it was an absolute mess, and it serves him right. It serves him right so moving on to moron number eight that would be ashley judd uh the post-inauguration women's march in january was full of embarrassing moments by celebrities but this poem recitation from actress ashley judd topped them all i am a nasty woman i'm not as nasty as
0: a man who looks like he bathes in cheeto dust A man whose words are a diss track to America. Electoral college sanctioned hate speech contaminating this national anthem. I'm not as nasty as Confederate flags being tattooed across my city. Yeah, I'm a nasty woman. A loud, vulgar, proud woman. I'm not nasty. Like the
1: combo of Trump and Pence being served up to me in my voting booth. I'm nasty like the battles my grandmothers fought to get me into that voting
0: booth. I'm nasty.
1: No, you're not only nasty, you're incoherent. And largely a lot of what you say makes no sense whatsoever. You know, my my feelings about Ashley Judd, by the way, she's now found herself a new position as one of the leaders of the Me Too movement. So she's jumped on board of that one as well. Um the thing about Ashley Judd is that and this is my advice to Democrats people on the Democrat party so once in a while I get to give the Democrat party some advice so here's my advice for you as long as you put dopes like Ashley Judd and Madonna as your spokespeople spewing forth this absolute nonsensical dribble you're going to lose because people when they hear this kind of talk when they when they hear Madonna talking about blowing up the White House you're, you're not bringing people over to your side of the aisle. People can't relate to people like Ashley Judd and she obviously has nothing important to say. And, and it just, it underscores the fact that as long as you keep, as long as these are spokespeople folks, it's, it's over for the Democrat party in the near foreseeable future. More on number seven, this is Hillary Clinton. Uh, In May, Hillary Clinton chose the Women International Luncheon in New York City as the place where she would announce her Onward Together political action committee. She also explained how she now identifies herself after losing the election.
0: You know, I'm I'm now back to being an activist citizen and uh, part of the resistance.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy, that's exciting. She's going to be part of the resistance. I mean that's really got to make a lot of people on the Democrat side excited, knowing they're going to be led into battle by the Hobbit from Hell, and and I will say this too, I know. Well, Hillary, of course, she had this whole book tour thing, and generally you don't go on like a book tour when you lose. I mean it's like this like this loser victory party thing that she did all year with this with this book that she wrote called What Happened, and she obviously still to this day doesn't understand what happened. And it's funny because I think recently the Vanity Fair of all places, Vanity Fair has basically published an article stating more or less that Hillary Clinton kind of needs to go away, right? Because she's not doing the Democrat party any favors by hanging around. And I, I thought about this and I have kind of mixed feelings. There's a part of me that thinks Hillary is a repulsive human being that really needs to go away and go, go, you know, go play with your grandkids. I mean, you don't, you don't have to be in the limelight, but apparently she does. She feels compelled to stay relevant By writing books, making speeches, and being part of the, quote, resistance. So on the one hand, I'm kind of like, you know, yeah, I don't want to see you anymore. I don't want to hear that cackle from hell anymore. Uh, I don't, I don't. I don't need you being out. But on the other hand, I think she's actually doing us in the Republican side a favor because the more Hillary Clinton and people like Ashley Judd, people that are kind of these these old guard Democrats, the Bernie Sanders, the Joe Bidens, the Nancy Pelosi's, the Elizabeth Warren's, these old, crusty, worn out, dirtbag Democrats stay around. I think if that's if this is the face of the Democrat Party then I think it's actually a good thing for us. So you just hang in there, Hillary, write some more books, do some more tours, and be part of, as you say, the resistance. Moron number six uh, is the group called Antifa. So Antifa is this group I'd never even heard of before. Apparently they're saying, well, they've been around for a long time, and this is just the newest incarnation of Antifa. Antifa are these... These mask-wearing millennials who show up to conservative speaking engagements and basically destroy property, try and shut the whole thing down, and call the other side antifa, meaning anti Um That's what antifa apparently means. You know, it's kind of funny because I I went to send a, a text message to somebody and I said antifa, and you know how sometimes your phone spell corrects, which is actually a blessing for me because I'm a horrible speller, but. It, it's spell corrected to say antifungal, and I thought that was kind of funny. So I refer to them now as just the antifungal movement. Um, but so this this group's out there, and by the way, I have one question to ask: Why do they wear masks? Right? Because usually when I see people wearing masks, it's because they're going to do bad things, and they don't want to be—they sh- don't want their identities being known. Usually, it's you know who wears masks. Well, ISIS wears masks. Burglars wear masks. People that want to hold up, you know, convenience stores wear masks. Why? Why are these people wearing masks? And and the answer is, of course, because they're they're damaging property. And and the funny thing about the Antifa group and why I think they do fall into the category of my top ten biggest morons is that they've actually helped people. they've, They've helped people on the right. In other words, I think this movement, the Antifa movement, has backfired. When when people see videos of these Antifa folks. Destroying property, uh, trashing Starbucks, breaking windows, throwing objects at police officers, that turns them against the left. And and I think a lot of people in the Democrat Party, yeah, you may not like Trump and and you may not like his policies, but still what we're talking about is shutting down freedom of speech. So and 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 there's no equivalent on the right. In other words, you don't see a a right wing version of Antifa. You don't see right wingers putting on masks, showing up at at you know left wing speaking engagements and trying to shut them down. So and and when you look at also what what they've done, they've they've made superstars out of people like Milo Yiannopoulos when they shut down his speaking engagement at Berkeley. I mean, Milo just wanted to come to Berkeley. They invited him to come out. He went to come and speak. And these Antifa folks made such a stink and caused such a security threat that they had to shut down the event. And, and, of course, it brought nationwide, even worldwide, attention. And and it really exposed, not only did it make a superstar out of Milo Yiannopoulos, who, if they have just let him speak, nobody would have even cared. Like, nobody would have paid any attention. He would have spoken. He'd have left. You know, a couple hundred people would have showed up. It would have gotten no media, probably, whatsoever. But Antifa, based on the fact they had to make a big stink out of him coming onto campus. If nothing else, they're actually helping the conservative cause. So you keep at it, Antifa. Keep doing what you're doing. So Antifa was my moron number six. Moron number five, that that award goes to Kathy Griffin. Kathy Griffin, the comedian who had a bad year in 2017, thanks to her decision to hold a fake severed head resembling, pre, resembling President, President Trump in a video, so we remember this non-apology she gave alongside Gloria Allred's daughter? I'm going to be honest. He broke me. He broke me. He broke me. And then I was like, no, this
0: is right. It just felt right. And I apologized because that was the right thing to do and I meant it.
1: And then I saw the tide turning and I saw what they were doing. And I went, oh, OK, they're trying to spin this and they're making about Darren and Obviously that was never my intent. I would never want to hurt anyone, much less a child, but I started to see what was really happening. And then it was a mob mentality pylon. And so many people have expressed to me personally across the country at my shows they're scared. So yeah, I don't know what's I don't know what's gonna risk me. I don't know. What do you think about CN firing you? What do you think about CNN firing you? It's uh, it's hurtful to me. It's hurtful. Yeah. It's censorship was what it is. I'll say it more bluntly. She worked there for 10 years. Look the best thing of, about New Year's Eve. There's a
0: bunch of old white guys trying to silence me. And I'm just here to say that's wrong.
1: Blame it on the old white guys. You can always fall back on that one. You know, I got to tell you one thing. From one thing, well, let's back up to Kathy Griffin for a moment. Kathy Griffin also is in a category of comedians. And I'll put in Colbert, uh, Samantha Bee, um, uh Trevor Noah of, of these people that, that have prominent comic co- comedian careers who are just not funny. And I try and be fair. actually, I pulled up a clip of Kathy Griffin just to hear some of her stand up, you know, just to kind of hear it for myself. Like, is there something to this person? Is there some creativity there? Is there some real, you know, good humor there? And it's, it's basically just Trump sucks and I'm a slut. I mean, and that's, that's like her whole routine summarized in you know 5 seconds these people are not funny i don't know how they have a stage at all and i got to tell you i'm i'm actually surprised that cnn fired her i i'm i'm surprised that the left has limits in terms of how inappropriate you can get i mean i figured they would just like give her a Nobel peace prize or something for that performance. So it's kind of surprising. And I don't know if she's apparently she's not touring in the U S she's touring over in Europe. Cause she says it's too dangerous to tour in the U S she feels that her life is at risk. Uh, the other thing that's kind of interesting to know, the other voice that you heard on that clip was from Gloria Allred's daughter, Lisa Bloom, actually it was Gloria Allred. And, and as we just found out, I know I talked about this last week, we just found out that Lisa Bloom, who's Gloria Allred's attorney daughter was the one identified now as offering $200,000 to any woman who would, come, who would come forward with some kind of sexual harassment claims against Trump. So that was kind of an interesting development. I know Ed touched base about it last time, uh, but I just want to circle back. So, Kathy Griffin, you are moron number five. Moron number four. That award goes to Congresswoman Maxine Waters. She's given us many amusing moments this year, um, but her most memorable moronic moment was in 2017, it can be wrapped up in a single catchphrase.
0: For those who say to me, you are asking for something too soon and too early, be careful, don't jeopardize yourself, don't say what you're saying right now, but I continue to say, impeach him! Impeach 45!
1: Okay, so I think she was calling for President Trump to be impeached like literally a month after he was elected. So this has been going on for a while. And apparently there was actually um, this this month. As a matter of fact, the month of December, Congressman Al Green brought a motion to the congressional floor to get President Trump impeached, but she didn't sign it. So my message to Maxine Waters is if you're going to preach, you must impeach. The other thing, too, is that what Maxine Waters needs to understand is that if you do want to impeach a president, there actually has to be like some charges that go along with it. And as far as I can tell, she hasn't illustrated what charges warrant President Trump being impeached. She just keeps calling for it over and over again as far as her mantra. And it just she's just an absolute idiot. And it's embarrassing that people this stupid are representing us in the federal government. More on number three. this award goes to Senator John McCain. Uh, Senator John McCain announced his cancer diagnosis in July. Americans were inspired that he returned to the Senate days later to vote on the Obamacare repeal. So unfortunately, he joined Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins, the other the, what I would call collectively the three Stooges, in voting against the repeal, literally flushing seven years of repeal efforts by his colleagues down the toilet. Let's hear this little clip. Senator John McCain, just days removed from his cancer diagnosis, stunning the chamber, turning the thumbs down
0: on the repeal bill. It happened just feet away from Republican leader Mitch McConnell, prompting
1: an audible gasp in the chamber. Everybody hear that gasp? We kept the gasman. Oh, I can't believe he did that. Yeah, it was kind of a shock. Apparently, tr- apparently, McCain hates Trump more than th- his 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 hatred for Trump has overshadowed his rationality. I mean, they had the one opportunity. They've been talking about this for years. And McCain, by the way, ran on the platform of repealing Obamacare. He's given the opportunity, and he tanks the whole thing. And by the way, this was also. Uh, an opportunity to to defund Planned Parenthood. So McCain throws a whole wrench in the works, and the whole thing it's it's absolutely it doesn't make any sense. And when when he asked, when he was asked about it, I don't have the clip from this, but when McCain was asked about it, he said it would not be right to put through something like this without bipartisan support. Uh, okay, so you're you're telling me you're waiting for Democrats to jump on board a bill to defund Obamacare. And and to be fair, you know, to be fair, I don't know what. The repeal and it's going to happen at some point. I don't know what the repeal, the replacement bill for Obamacare was going to look like because these these things are like, you know, thousands of pages long and largely an incomprehensible gibberish, just like Obamacare. So I don't know what the repeal bill would have actually looked like, and and it's possible that maybe the repeal bill wasn't the best thing for the country. I mean, that's that's possible too. So where we're at right now, we're just going to let Obamacare collapse on its own. Um, and as a matter of fact, part of the a funding mechanism, the tax, um, for Obamacare has been repealed as part of Trump's tax plan. So it's kind of like, sort of like being repealed already. Uh, the interesting thing also that I heard about yesterday was that apparently a McCain staffer, um, apparently brought a copy of this famous Trump dossier, dossier, dossier to the FBI. Um, and, but after they already had it, so they already had the dossier dossier, I'm sorry. They already had the dossier and and so the point is, what is what is McCain trying to do? You know, he's trying to destroy the Trump presidency. McCain represents the establishment part, the establishment problem that the Republicans have. And and look, and, and I'm not taking away anything from McCain. I, I have a lot of respect for him. I know McCain served his country. I know McCain went through a, a horrible, horrible experience as a prisoner of war in Vietnam. But but still, it doesn't excuse this incredible amount of damage that McCain has done by not siding with Republicans on, on these repeal votes. So Senator McCain, you were my moron. Number three, more on number two, that award goes to the NFL. Uh, thanks to its team owners, siding with the players that chose to kneel during the national anthem. The NFL lost big in 2017. According to Forbes, it lost 3 million viewers per game. That's 25% of its viewership. According to The Blaze, the NFL and its TV partners CBS, Fox Sports, ESPN, and NBC lost $500 million in revenue. Football TV ratings have dropped overall by 20% since 2015. So, you know, my comments on this, I predicted when this started going on that the NFL would lose about 25% of its revenue in the next year. And I think that's still going to happen. I think as far as I know, I'd have to ask Gabe or sports. guy. I think there's still people actually kneeling out there. Eventually they're just going to keep them like, you know, inside until after the national anthem is played, but that looks bad too. Cause everybody's going to know what's up. They're going to know that the players aren't going to come out because they're going to disrespect the flag again. Uh, this is another article and it points out the league. And this is recently, the league has now opted to call off the, uh, a new year's game uh, before new year's Eve game. Um, before they called it off, before announcing even which teams were scheduled to compete, my guess is that the teams that were going to compete were the Pittsburgh Kneelers against the New England and Patriots. That was just my guess. I could be wrong. I'm not a football fan, so maybe I'm not even qualified to talk about it. Uh, their comment was, we felt that both from a competitive standpoint and from a fan perspective, the most fair thing to do was to schedule all 17 games in either the 1 p.m., or 425 p.m. window, said a spokesperson for the NFL. The National Football League is struggling to wrap up its disastrous 2017 season with millions of fans tuning out or staying home following months of player protests. You know, the, the bottom line for me is that I feel bad not for the NFL, not for the players, not for the owners. I feel bad for the little concessions people who are being hammered as a result of this. These are the people that sell the hot dogs, sell the sports paraphernalia. These are the people that are impacted uh, financially by their stupid antics. That leads me to Moron number 1, and that, of course, is Harvey Weinstein. Thanks to reports of his behavior unleashing the tidal wave of sexual harassment allegations throughout Hollywood and politics... Producer Harvey Weinstein is the biggest moron of the year. Of course, where is this guy now, right? Where's Harvey Weinstein now? You don't hear a lot from him. Um, You know, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Obviously, it's it's caused this avalanche of 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 garbage avalanche of accusations coming down in hollywood as well as in washington and it's only going to get worse going forward i think the the industry to get into honestly is the sexual rehabilitation industry for for hollywood and congressional representatives i think there's a lot of money there to be made i do want to wrap up the the new year show by wishing you all a happy new year's and also uh this is a special tribute from ed to his wife celebrating 21 years of marriage Happy 21 year anniversary, Ed and Don. Take it away. And we're in love. After 21 years of marriage, we're still unbelievably in love. You won't even let me touch you till I've said
0: it. I sing to you. Not all the time, but, but definitely on special occasions. You know, we've, we've dealt with our share of surprises and, and, and made a lot of sacrifices, but we stayed together see,
1: you're a better person than
0: I am. And it made me a better person to be around you.
1: Happy 21-year anniversary, Ed and Don. Happy New Year to everybody who's listening. Ed will be back next week. Thanks for listening.